This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. We all know how beautiful it is to harvest something, whether it's a book or a relationship or just that fully ripened thing, that idea, that child that you've sent off to college, whatever it is. But then comes winter and winter is hard. And I actually told my editor and my agent, I'm only gonna write two chapters on winter because nobody wants to read about winter. And they, of course, sent back the manuscript and said, you have more to say. And it turns out that was probably the most impactful writing that I have ever done for my own self. And it is because as a hustle girl by nature, as a growing fast girl by nature, I'm always in this cycle of plant, grow, harvest, plant, grow, harvest. And I sort of skip over winter. But winter has great things to teach us. Do you even know what you're doing? You are wasting your education. I can't believe it. Those were some words that my guest today, Jennifer Dukesley, and her husband heard when they chose to uproot their family into a small family farm in Iowa. And maybe you too, like them, seek a slower life, a different pace, a different rhythm that will actually feel like you're living more holistically, in tune with your body, with yourself, with God, and with others. Well, listen into this conversation with author Jennifer Dukes Lee. She talks about how our hearts are hurried and gives us some great habits about how to grow slow. Listen in to my conversation with Jennifer. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. In each conversation, you'll get to hear my guests' wisdom, their laundry routine, and for this season, also their hustle habit. Let's find holy together. All right. It's fun, friends, to welcome Jennifer Dukes Lee to the Finding Holy podcast. And I love so much of her newest book, Growing Slow, really resonates with me at this time. And it really resonates, I'm sure, with a lot of you. So I'm so excited, Jennifer, that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like the messages that we're talking about could be best friends or sisters or at least cousins or something. For sure. <laughs> Me too. I know. I was like reading your book and going, oh my gosh, there's." it's so great though when you read other people's books and you're like, there's so much that is really concurrent with what I'm thinking and I'm learning and it just feels like, wow, God's doing something. It's pretty great. Yes, that is. I love it. And it's, you know, I mean, there's so many different, depending on personalities, there's so many, so many different ways to approach 
mm-hmm. you know, an unhurried life and spacious community and a spacious life. And For it just sure. feels like, you know, we can't get enough of this in a culture that is constantly trying to get us to hurry and rush. So I'm really glad that that you've written your book too. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's so important to continue to have these conversations. One thing I loved about your book, you were talking about these kind of blessings of being unspectacular. And you talk about the story of when you kind of went off to college and you're leaving your small town and this idea that we should be spectacular. So what have you found maybe in the in your desire to be spectacular and then kind of the blessing of being unspectacular in your own life that really has opened up something for you? Yeah, so uh, from the time I was a kid, I thought that a spectacular life looked like success and being an award-winning news journalist Mm -hmm. and, you know, all those kinds of things that I would tick off the boxes and I would find a spectacular life, a certain kind of house, a certain kind of husband, certain kind of kids. Mm -hmm. And um, in some ways, a lot of those things did happen. I went to Iowa State, met a great guy, Mm -hmm. loved my kids. And I had a fantastic job as a news reporter for a lot of years But in the chase for that spectacular life, I think what I was really after, Ashley, was a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. And we can get so twisted up in what we think a meaningful life of purpose is because our culture has put it on what we're doing in terms of career and advancement. And even now as an author, when I don't have like a typical kind of career, there's this pressure to have a certain kind of Instagram following and a certain kind of email list and a certain level of book sales and all those sorts of things. And I know that not everybody listening has an author life, but I'm guessing that they have felt it too in their bank accounts and in the kind of house they have and the kind of marriage they have and all of those sorts of things. But um, as I got a little further along in life, I realized that there was a trade-off for all of those things. Mm. And the things that really were spectacular by a sort of cultural standard may seem unspectacular Mm -hmm. and that a life of meaning was found in quieter, simpler ways that had more to do with relationship and my relationship with people and my relationship with God, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. and even my relationship with my own self and my own body and how I treated it as a, as a, physical being instead of a machine. And so it's been a transformative, not easy process for me to move from the chase for spectacular Mm -hmm. to this more unspectacular way of living that has actually given me more hope and joy and contentment Mm -hmm. than all of the other stuff combined that looked really nice on a resume. For sure. What might be some of the fears that either you or a listener would experience? Like, you know, as we're talking about some of these sorts of things, you know, I'm just thinking about the way I talk about it in A Spacious Life in the beginning, as I use some of this imagery from Narnia, actually, right, where at the very end of the series in the last battle, the children and Tyrion are coming up right into this stable, which had been kind of taken over by the god Tash. And it's homely and ugly and they're scared and then all of a sudden they come into this stable and it's this whole like Narnian world right and everything is beautiful and redeemed and large and spacious and they kind of have this conversation about it and they say you know the inside is bigger than the outside that somehow in the kingdom economy right in Aslan's country and you know obviously Lewis is talking about it in in terms of of God, but that the Christian life, right, is it looks really small and 
confined and maybe ugly <laughs> from the outside. And yet when we get in it, we find this sense of spaciousness. And I wonder what does it look like maybe when we see it from the outside? Like what fears do we have when we look at this slow life that you're talking about that can feel ugly or scary or constraining or constricting? What sort of fears did you have when you kind of made that switch? Right. You know, walking through the door to this inner place, it can be a very scary thing. Mm-hmm whether it's Narnia or right here. <laughs> right. And sometimes I think that we don't know it's ugly. Yeah. We don't know that there can be something more beautiful on the inside. It's not usually as obvious as it was to those children that it's an ugly place mm-hmm. because there are rewards for staying on this side of the door. Mm-hmm. And they look like accolades and um, pay raises and praise and approval. Mm-hmm. And so it is scary to walk into a place that's going to feel very unspectacular at first right. because you have to leave all those other things behind that have been a sort of crutch for you for a very long time. And I know mm-hmm. because that was my life and I didn't realize how, how ugly it was. And to leave behind, for instance, even just an adrenaline rush was hard for me because I got a lot out of that. It was like an adrenaline hit every morning Mm -hmm. and only until it took a toll on my physical health because my body couldn't take that anymore. Mm -hmm. Did I actually step through a door into something else to see that it was a different kind of beauty than I ever could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And it's so strange to me how one of the biggest fears that I had was that I would no longer be able to be a productive person. I think wanting to be a productive person Mm -hmm. while we're here on earth is a natural and God-given thing that Mm -hmm. we have. I mean, we're here for a reason and there's nothing wrong with that. But I I was afraid that to grow slow, I'd have to give up on all of that and stop making an impact on my world. But what I have found is that inside the door, I'm making, I haven't lost my ability to make an impact. I think I'm probably more, have a more meaningful life, even in that way. Yeah. So for instance, I was, I used to get irritated when people would say, you really need to slow down. And I would just say, you don't, you don't know what my life is like. You don't know all the things that I want to do and I get to do and that I have to do. Don't tell me to slow down. <laughs> so when I did slow down and put into the place, these growing slow practices, Um, I found that I was more productive than I was before. Like growing slow is my superpower. My, the whole of my life has opened up into Mm -hmm. something else that I never envisioned before. I no longer go to bed at night and think, wow, I sure was busy, but I wasn't very productive. I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes I do. There are, there are moments that we all have, but I think I've just adopted a new outlook and some new Mm -hmm. practices that helped me get past that. But the fear of going there is real Mm -hmm. because the story that we have been told is that the only beauty beauty there is, is on this side of the door. Yeah. And that is a real fear. And I just want to acknowledge that for anybody who just feels like, no, I can't, I can't slow down. Yeah. No, I think that's really important is yeah, It's really scary. Before we get to some of those practices, which are really helpful, I would love to ask you what your hustle habit is. So friends, if you are listening, you're like, hustle habit, what's that? Um, Basically, I have a free little quiz. You can take it at a spacious.life. 
and we find out what our hustle habit is. And so our hustle habits are four different ways that we can tend to bypass our natural human limits. And so Jennifer and I have been talking a lot about that. There's four different ways. Either you tend to blame other people or circumstances, you fall into shame, you ignore your limits, or you try to control them. So you can take that at a spacious.life. But Jennifer, what's your hustle habit? So I would have thought that my hustle habit was control. Yeah. But maybe after I wrote the book, It's All Under Control, I really worked through more than I <laughs> yeah, imagined. Yeah. I'm still kind of a recovering control freak. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was so interesting to me that it was blame. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, but I don't blame other people. And so I'm really glad that you said that sometimes we blame circumstances mm-hmm. because I have not found myself blaming people as much as just the circumstances that I'm in. And as I mentioned a bit ago, it used to annoy me when people would say, you really should slow down. And my response was always really, in essence, blaming my circumstances. I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't slow down there. This isn't an option for me. Mm -hmm. I can't live a spacious life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was, as I began to look at that and think about that, today. I, yeah. Blame. Yeah. It's blame. I hear you. I go to blame too. That's the, that's my very first instinct, but then I, then I like to tack on the others usually. <laughs> so, you know, I blame. And if that doesn't work, then, you know, usually I try to control things. And then if that doesn't work, then shame is the answer. So we can get really muddled up <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I think that I have, may have all three of those going yeah. on yeah. from time to time. Yeah. It's bad. Instead of just like saying, you know what, I'm limited and this is the limits of my season or my time or my attention. I need to slow down. Yeah. It's easier to like try all these unhealthy mechanisms first, I think, (laughs) until we, until we walk through that door. Jennifer, what are some of those practices that you've experienced and you write about in your book about ways to actually kind of enter that door, ways to practice slowing down instead of, you know, choosing control or blame. Yeah. So the first thing is really an adoption of a philosophy and it's not as easy as simply doing a few things, but you have to buy in and decide, you know what, I'm going to give this two weeks and knowing that it may even take longer because it took us a whole life to get to this hurried yeah. place. Mm-hmm. And so unraveling ourselves from that is, is a lot of work because the answer has always been just put your hand to the plow, just yeah. keep on going. You got to just hustle and mm-hmm. to move back from that is difficult. And so, you know, it's not, it's not easy. I acknowledge that it's yeah. not easy, but it's really, really critical. And I think that when we really look deep down in our hearts, that um, we know we've got to do something. But yes, I do also have very practical Mm -hmm. ways of coming at this. And I call them the habits of the unhurried. Mm -hmm. And um, they look a little different for everybody, but just a few of them are things like, I mean, obviously closing the laptop at five o'clock without guilt Mm -hmm. and saying that some things can wait. Um, At Practicing um, slow food practices Mm -hmm. comes out of the slow food movement of the 1980s. And for us, it looks like sitting down while we eat and not checking Instagram while I'm also just shoveling in bites (laughs) of food, Mm -hmm. uh, but actually enjoying the flavors and the gifts that we are given with food. We could have been created as beings that you just kind of give you a shot and then that fuels you for the day. But for whatever reason, God gave us uh, the gifts of of food and taste and taste buds that Mm -hmm. we get to enjoy it. So let's enjoy 
that. That gives us, and that's just really in anything. Let's just mm -hmm. enjoy the view outside. Let's enjoy the relationships that we've given. Lighting candles at dinner time will automatically lower your blood pressure mm -hmm. and help you to just enjoy and linger longer at the table. It creates a mood. I mean, I mm -hmm. think we all know that. And you don't have to wait to go to a fancy restaurant to have a candlelit dinner. Do mm. it for your, your little family. Do it for yourself. I have lit candles and eaten in a dark room by yeah. myself, and it is a cool thing to do. Make time for play. Mm. Protect your boundaries. All of us, I think, have boundaries or we know what they should be. Mm -hmm. The real problem is that we don't do what it takes to protect them. Getting the sleep that your body needs, actually using your vacation time. There are so many studies that show that people are leaving all kinds of vacation time on the mm -hmm. table because they mm -hmm. think they can't afford to take it. Yeah. So I have a list of like 24 habits of the unhurried and they're sort of sprinkled about the book, but I could give you a link if you would like. Yeah, so that that'd be great. We'll put it in the show notes. Some habits yeah. of the unhurried as well. That's so great. You know, I've done something similar. I just gleaned my book and I'm calling them pocket practices. Um, right. You know, something small enough you can keep in your pocket and just pull it out when you're freaking out and, you know, the carpool pickup line. Um, you know, just reminders or questions or scripture to hold on to. And I think those, those sorts of practices, as simple as getting a good night's sleep, lighting candles, yes. eating food without looking at your phone are huge. They're huge. Mm -hmm. They are. All those things checking the phone at the stoplight. Oh my goodness. I used to do that all the time. Yeah. And I don't even like to admit that. I mean, there's obvious safety issues about <laughs> not checking your phone. I know. But the other thing that happens is if you have something that seems urgent, if you've checked something on your phone and it, it seems like urgent, hurry will gather around your heart and it will mm -hmm. create a like kind of minor anxiety mm -hmm. because you can't deal with it until you get home or pull over the side of the road and take care of it. Just have it wait. Like yeah. if it's going to stress you out, just don't even check it until you get home. Yeah, That yes. is a huge habit of the hurried mm -hmm. and we want to reverse those sorts of things. That's so good. I, yeah. I, Cause I think we just, we don't realize the extent to which all of these hurried habits actually impact our body chemistry, you know, that they impact like the blank space in our mind for praise and creativity and connection is just wiped out. Cause we have all these like buzzing lights of things we have, we feel like we have to do. Yeah. There's so many, um, gosh, not to freak out if you misplace your phone. <laughs> um, I mean, that's just phone related ones, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it so, there oh, is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so, yeah, I, I'm just looking down the list right now as I'm yeah. chatting with you. I'm like, yeah, there's like about five of these that have to deal with our phones. <laughs> I know, but it's the sense of urgency, right? That there's someone outside or, you know, this fear of missing out and all of that like is really encaptured in our phones. I think it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Are you looking for something that's going to help you connect the dots between what you say you believe and how you live? Well, I've created pocket practices just for you. They are about 50 spiritual formation practices that you can take anywhere and you can get them free for a limited time. When you pre-order a copy of A Spacious Life, head on over to aspacious.life, enter in your email and you will get those pocket practices as a free download anytime between now and September 13th. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At BOW, 
We believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. In your book, you talk a lot about your place, right? You talk about yourself as an accidental farm girl, which I just love. But how has living on a farm particularly helped you to grow slow? I'm so glad you asked about place. First of all, as a writer, I want to just chat with you about that for a second. because This is the book where I've owned that sense of place more Mm -hmm. than ever before. I think, and I don't know, I I bet a lot of writers listen to your podcast. I'm just guessing Mm -hmm. you're just a writer's writer. But I think that sometimes we disregard the magic of the places where we are. Because for me, I haven't owned it much in past books because I'm like, Mm -hmm. my life is so boring. Like who wants to hear about it? But when I began to pay attention to my life and the land that is my life, the literal land that is my life. It was, mm-hmm. it was a huge, huge eye-opening thing for me. And I think it's been really helpful for my readers too. They're very interested in what's happening on the farm, but it teaches us principles about growing slow mm-hmm. for sure, because um, it became a metaphor for me of the way that God grows good things in the world is how he's growing good things in me. And um, that's not new to me. I mean, Jesus modeled that all the time. He used all kinds of agriculture mm-hmm. metaphors and literal stories that would have made a lot of sense to an agrarian culture of the right. time. I imagine sometimes people on the Galilean hillside and they'd be like, oh yeah, that's how it is on my farm. Yeah. you know." And they probably had the dirt underneath their fingernails to prove it. And I think it's really interesting to see that in a literal way outside of our window. When I think about the kinds of soils, for instance, that are out there, or the fact that when I put a seed in the ground, when, well, I should say when Scott puts seeds in the ground, (laughs) millions of them, yeah, it can take days or even weeks before we see any little bit of growth. And I'm always like, if I was a seed, I would be freaking out. Like, why am I in the dark? <laughs> what I'm all happened? by myself, even though like inches away is another seed who's also feeling the same way. Mm. But then boom, up pops a little bit of growth. And I have never once seen a corn plant freaking out on our farm. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Jesus says these plants, they do not labor or spin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, there's so much to learn. And then here comes summer and it's green and it's beautiful. And that's a time of the year when Scott and I can kind of slide back a little bit because God is going to do his thing. There's not much we can do aside from praying for good growth on these fields. And so that's a time for play for us, which is a real great growing slow practice, taking Mm -hmm. longer vacations and those sorts of things. And then um, along comes harvest and we all know how beautiful it is to harvest something, whether it's a book 
that you're writing yeah. or a relationship or just that fully ripened thing, that idea, mm-hmm. that child that you've sent off to college, whatever it is, but then comes winter and winter is hard. And I actually told my editor and my agent, I'm only going to write two chapters on winter because nobody wants to read about winter. It's going to be depressing. No one yeah, wants Yeah. Yeah. I'm not writing about that. I don't want to end my book in winter. Yeah. And they, of course, sent back the manuscript and said, you have more to say. <laughs> and it turns out that was probably the most impactful writing mm. that I have ever done for my own self. Mm. I learned the most. Chapter 17 was probably the most important chapter I've ever written that's mm. been impacting in my own life. And it is because as a hustle girl by yeah. nature, as a growing fast girl by nature, I'm always in this cycle of plant, grow, harvest, plant, grow, harvest. Mm. And I sort of skip over winter yeah. and put my hand to the plow. But winter has great things to teach us. And if a farm field needs one fourth of its growing season to be buried under snow and feeling maybe even feeling unproductive, then what does that say for me? If God wants the fields and the trees and those sorts of things to rest, what does that mean for me? So winter has taught me a great deal. Yeah. No, I think that's so important because we often treat ourselves like machines instead of organisms. And that's so beautiful about the lessons that your place has really taught you. What helped you to begin to notice them and to like apply them to your own self instead of just hurrying past winter, right? Right. So um, it was really a kind of an emergency. I mean, my body was breaking down and I was having all kinds of pains and inexplainable aches and digestive issues and suddenly couldn't sleep well, woke up in the morning and the first thing I felt was I'm falling behind immediately into fight or flight mode. And I didn't realize any of that until I went to a functional medicine doctor. I had been to other quote regular doctors and gotten CAT scans and MRIs. I mean, you name it, I had a test done and they're like, there's nothing wrong. Well, this guy sat me down and he's like, you, he didn't use these words, but he basically said I had hurry sickness. And I went back, I went home and I was looking up all these symptoms and there is a real trauma to the body called hurry sickness. And it affects all of those things. And he was like, you're stressed out. Like, I'm not stressed out. This is just the way I am. I've always been able to do this, but there came a point when I wasn't able to do that anymore. Yeah. yeah. And looking back, I, I think about all that has been lost and it sort of felt like it's too late. You know, I've already messed all these things up and, but it's not, it's not too late to grow slow and it's not too early either. I wrote the book partly because I don't want people to get to the point like I did where mm. it was taking a toll on every aspect of life, relationships and health. And just to give people hope that it is actually possible to yeah. do this. Yeah, I think you know often our bodies will tell us things that we don't want to admit ourselves <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that's that's how it happened for me and yeah. I think when I was in my 20s I could operate like that. And mm-hmm. I became addicted to adrenaline. It was like coming off of a drug yeah. So yeah. to, you know, to get to this place of a slower way and believe it was possible again on the other side of that door has been an incredible gift to me. And, um, 
it's just like one of those things you just can't keep to yourself. So I just keep talking about it on social media. I just keep talking about it. I know. I love it. I love it. What does like a day look like for you now then? Like maybe compare and contrast a day before and a day now. I'll tell you what it looks like now. And then you can almost fill in the blanks and imagine (laughs) what it wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) So now waking up, um, instead of immediately picking up my phone to see what's what I need to get to, I wake up about 10 minutes earlier and just am still with myself. And sometimes that's just laying in bed a little bit longer. Sometimes it's just grabbing a cup of coffee and, you know, like staring out the window. Mm-hmm. And I told a podcaster that once and she says, that sounds so boring. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how is that life of hustle treating people though? I mean, right. let's try yeah. boredom on for a minute mm-hmm. and just see, because that life of hustle and immediately hitting the ground running is not, we're not doing ourselves any favors. Mm -hmm. I think it's vitally important to wake up just a little bit earlier and decide this is the tone for the day. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say, God, this is how it's going to (laughs) be. Right. (laughs) But it's like, you know, entering into a conversation with God and with yourself to say, Mm -hmm. this is what, this is what, who I hope to be today, regardless Mm -hmm. of what comes my way. And Mm -hmm. it's made a huge difference for me. Drinking a lot more water has made a huge difference for me. And I would have never pin put growing mm-hmm. slow and drinking water together, but they go together. I take almost daily walks outside. Right now, my walks have slowed down because there's a mountain lion in the area. Oh, yeah, probably <laughs> so, wise. Right. So we're going to the gym tonight instead uh-huh, of uh-huh. walking. But, um, you know, I really adapted that more during COVID um, because we couldn't do anything, you know? So I just right. went for daily walks and saw parts of my neighborhood that I'd never even paid any attention to before. Mm. Being intentionally grateful for little things like the taste of my food mm-hmm. and you know, sitting down to eat, those kinds of things. And then I am done at five. I don't care what else needs to be done. Yeah. I am done at five and I fiercely protect my boundaries. Mm-hmm. Now, all of those things that I just said, there's dozens more, but most of it did not look like that before. Mm-hmm. I drank a ton of Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. I checked my phone immediately upon waking up. I um, didn't really exercise a whole lot. Or if I did, it was like to force my body into something that I thought it needed to be. Whereas now I take walks just to take walks. And also because I'm type A, I like to close the rings on my (laughs) Apple watch. Let's (laughs) be honest. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, avoiding mindless scrolling, mm-hmm. um, I do, I could lose like a half hour all of a sudden in my workday because suddenly I got sucked into the vortex of Instagram. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, all of those things are very, very different in my life. And I have to acknowledge that it's easier now for me when I don't have little kids around. Right. Um, it looked different then. And I, but I know I could go back and em- employ some of those techniques into my mm-hmm. uh, younger self mm-hmm. life. But then I was writing books at night instead of during the day, there was no way books were going to get written unless right. I had it reversed. Yeah. So I had to create boundaries in sort of different ways. But mm-hmm. now it's easier to have a more typical like work day and all those sorts of things, because mm-hmm. I'm not chasing littles around. Yes, yes. But I think that's so important, you know, to to have certain, you're having work times, you're paying attention to your body, you're like being holistic, right? (laughs) Instead of simply like a working, doing machine. And I think whatever season we're in, the temptation, as you've said, is really to, you know, to keep hurrying and hustling and chasing these accolades. And we're addicted to adrenaline and 
slowing down is scary, but it sounds like it has reaped a harvest, right? Yeah. For, for you and your, yeah. how has that changed like your community and your family life? Just this slower? Well, I think it, I think it definitely has. And, you know, I really, I'd really like to go back and celebrate from day one of my growing slow journey, because moving here was in essence, a growing slow act. Mm. We left very successful careers because we wanted to raise our, our family here on the farm. Not that there's anything wrong with being a newspaper reporter and having kids, but it was not working for us. And I remember that I had colleagues and friends say, you are throwing away your education and your potential. Scott, same thing. He had graduated from law school, had a successful job. And um, we're like, yeah, we're going back to the farm. So you can imagine like, what are you talking about? And I remember when a photographer came to take our picture, we were a family of four. Mm -hmm. We we each had a kid on our our hips. They were just little, we were at the edge of a field. And I remember looking at that photographer who was taking our picture to put in the paper, sort of my farewell essay. Yeah. And um, I thought, what if they're, what if they're right? What if we are throwing it all away? And it took a while to begin to ask a different question. And, mm. and that is, what if they're wrong? Because yeah. they weren't living that life of hustle. We were. So it, it impacted our family from really a long, long time ago, mm. you know, 16, 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. But even here on the farm, hurry can creep back in. Yeah. And especially with social media and the demands of being an author, the demands of farm life. Yep. Yeah have created sometimes a life of hurry. So we've had to reinstitute slow down practices that look different than they would have 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I see that it's made a difference in our family. I see that it's made a difference in the practices of my now older children. Mm-hmm. I've got a freshman or now a sophomore in college and a junior in high school. It's funny though, because when I do get back to my hurried self, my younger, more laid back child says, mom, you just need to grow slow. <laughs> there, you know, I'll be like, come on, hurry up. We got to get out the door. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We're running late. You know, because yeah. I still do all those stupid kinds of things. Yeah. And she just looks at me and says, mom, you just got, it takes time you, mm-hmm. to grow good things. You just got to grow slow. So she's throwing it back at me. <laughs> Our children are teachers. So what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful though. And I hope it really provides a lot of hope for our listeners, you know, as you're listening and thinking, oh gosh, that feels like too much and scary. And, you know, you have those same questions, you know, as your coworkers did about like, what are you, you're giving up? You're throwing everything away to see actually it is something that is much more beautiful. As we conclude, Jennifer, I always love asking all of my guests about their laundry routines. And the reason why I ask this is, you know, all of these big things matter, our theology and faith and culture and life, but sometimes we can get stuck on ideas and not actually like integrate our real normal selves with those ideas. But I think you've done a great job of helping us actually connect those dots. So thank you. But I still want to leave our listeners with your laundry routine because it's really fun to hear too. <laughs> there's a good part of my laundry routine. And then there's a not so good part of my laundry routine. I do laundry every Monday morning. Yeah. And um, Scott actually does his farm clothes separately. Cause I can't tell you how bad that laundry is. I mean, being with pigs, 
right. and on the farm is so that laundry is handled separately yeah, and is yeah. kept out in the garage. That's but our That's family, yeah, <laughs> our family laundry is yeah, it's it all goes in and through the dryer on um, Monday, and that's where it goes off the rails because it remains in baskets right um, in the bedroom. So the the routine is that after that, it's just kind of like when I get to it, maybe I'll hang this stuff up or put it away. Yeah. but sometimes it's the bin is what I'm pawing through to try to find right. something. I hear you. Lydia does her own laundry and she had since she was 12. So she did hers um, on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And now Anna, uh, my younger daughter is doing her own laundry. So I don't um, have, I haven't done the kids' laundry or fold their stuff for years. Yay. So that helps, but, um, <laughs> and it's helping them with responsibility. So it is, and it may have even been younger for the girls than yeah, 12. So that's, that's so great. We do have my, my kiddos do do their own laundry, some more proficiently than others, but most of the time, honestly, they will tend to kind of rewash the same, you know, the bat, it never got put away. So I'm just rewashing the same basket full of clothes. And I'm just trying to let I it go. I sense that happens in our home too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Jennifer. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you and to just communicate how clearly, you know, not only limits and boundaries, but this slowing down actually will help be such a tonic for our hurry up and get faster, stronger, better sort of culture that we live in. So thank you so much for your beautiful offering. Well, thank you. Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jennifer Dukesley. Her book, Growing Slow, Lessons on Unhurrying Your Heart from an Accidental Farm Girl is available wherever books are sold and you can grab a copy at the link in the show notes. And as a special treat for us, I have also included a link that gives us some of those habits to unhurry your heart that Jennifer has offered. So go ahead and click on over and grab those for some small ways that we can begin to slow down. Well, as you know, every episode, I love to leave my listeners with one small step. And today we call them pocket practices. They are practices that are small enough to keep in your pocket that you can keep on a little three ring binder clip and keep it in your car or use it in your morning devotional time. They're great practices to actually integrate what we know about God and our ideas about living this slower, unhurried life and our actual experience of that life. You can get all of the pocket practices for free right now. All you need to do is pre-order a copy of my book, A Spacious Life, and you can find out details at aspacious.life. But for now, I want to offer you one of these pocket practices that we can practice together. And I would love for you to pick a story in one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And if you're familiar with your Bibles, it might be the picture of the bleeding woman that Jesus comes and heals. Or it might be the story in Luke 13 where Jesus heals a crippled woman. She walks into the synagogue where Jesus is teaching and he stops and he pays attention to her and he touches her and heals her and she is able to stand up straight. Maybe think about that story and place yourself in that story. Imagine yourself bent over. Maybe you're bent over 
figuratively by so many things and activities and fear and paralysis about the state of the world with the COVID-19 crisis and so many other things that actually take up residence in our bodies. And to imagine yourself in that position, imagine Jesus looking at you. What does that feel like? What do you feel in your body when he looks at you? What do you think? And then you see him coming towards you, putting his hand on you, stopping his holy work to pay attention to you and ask yourself, what does that feel like? Do I trust that Jesus will stop his holy work and that part of his holy work actually is healing and that paying attention matters? And then ask yourself a deeper question. Where do you need the touch of Christ? Friends, I hope that provides you with just a little bit to go on. This imaginative exercise is a great pocket practice to begin to see ourselves in the good story of Jesus. You can get those pocket practices when you pre-order at aspacious.life. Remember, friends, all of these big things matter, but so does your laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu slash podcast.